Morning. 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 How are you guys doing? I'm good. Glad to see you. My name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. If I hadn't had a chance to, to meet you, get to know you, glad that you guys are with us on this holiday weekend. Who's got holiday weekend plans the rest of the day and tomorrow? We've got some hands. That was really sad. So we're not doing anything. I hope it's a great weekend for you guys. It is for, for me. I've been gone for two weeks, so so glad to be back with you. Uh, I got the awesome pleasure and gift to endure, and I, I'm going to say endure 86 hours of lecture the last two weeks. I've been in, in class. I'm in a program when I got to meet with my classmates from all over the country in Los Angeles for the last two weeks. And so it's good to, good to be back. Uh, certainly missed you guys. Missed last week. Travis did great last week. Loved his sermon on Downey Thomas. Did you like that? Yeah, it was great. I hate to follow it. Thank you for clapping. Yeah, nobody's going to be doing that for me at the end. The other thing, too, though... Uh, and so it's fun. Like, and, and here's the funny thing. So a couple of weeks ago, Dee and I, uh, we were leading a, a marriage conversation. And the thing that I hate, right, is uh, when you're gone and like you have to manufacture a conversation because you care about the person, you know. And so like after like two days, like FaceTime's not enough anymore and all that, you know. And but she said something that weekend. She goes, you know, I don't like that either. And I was just like, really? Oh my gosh, are you serious? And she's like, no, I hate it. And I'm like. Well, I only do this because I thought you wanted me to, you know, and so like it was fun to kind of to work through that this morning, but um, or work through that this past two weeks, and so glad to be back. Like I said, the I woke the kids up and said good night, and you know they were excited, and so it's nice to be you know wanted. The other thing too is um, there's some lot there's a lot of good churches, a lot of good uh, churches doing great things. That's what I've been. Uh, surprised, not surprised by, but just encouraged. I hope that's an encouragement to you this morning to hear the things that are happening with the guys that are in my cohort. So, so in my cohort, I've got pastors that are in Chicago, New Jersey, Phoenix, um, let's see, uh, Northern California, uh, one in Kathmandu in Nepal, which is a lot of fun, right? Imagine being over there right now. He's, he's sleeping or he should be. Um, all over the place. Uh, one that's uh, playing in a church in Massachusetts, which is which is going to be great. One in Washington, you know. And so there's great things that are happening in the kingdom, and I say that as an encouragement because it's hard because we get stuck in kind of our circle, we get stuck in our limited view, and we think, well, you know, gosh, how what are really, what is really happening in the world? And the conversation uh, that we had this week is, I'm sure that you have all been having, either in your families, with your friends, is just watching the tragedy unfold in Uvalde, right? And, and, and like, so, you know, as I was praying a second ago, there's the idea of great things are happening in the kingdom, but then how do you square what we've all watched it unfold with the, is it 22 deaths now? Is that right? Is that the number? The fact that the number keeps climbing is insane to me, right? You know, and, and so it's, Pastors, you know, we're all talking about what is it that you do, you know, and so here's the most interesting thing is we were, we paused our, school, our class conversation to talk about just uh, Tuesday and, and what happened, nobody had any answers. And I think that's true, right? Like, I think, you know, you can make arguments of, well, if this had happened, this would have changed, or if this wouldn't have happened, this would have changed. And the reality of it is this, is that no matter what you think or believe, there's no ideology or politic that's going to change what's happened. And I say that is, you know, we all have opinions and I think that's great, but the reality of it is, is grace. Grace is what's needed. Pressing in as a faith community is what's needed. And so as we were trying to figure out 
you know, as type A driven people do, like, what should you do? Let's come up with five steps to do that. There were none. And, and I think that's actually God's grace at work in the midst of the church in this country is, is sometimes there's nothing to do but just to pray and to actually press in. We were praying for this morning uh, uh, in, the, in the suite this morning. It was the, now is the time to press in. I think that's great language. You know, everything that pulls at us to kind of step away from the world Actually, no, the grace of Jesus Christ through us actually gets, is needed even more so. And one day, uh, as we were just singing a second ago, one day um, it'll all be redeemed. But we don't know when that day is. And it's funny, we'll talk about that this morning. It's, you know, just God's timing of this message this morning that I wrote two weeks ago before I left and coming back. You know, it's just interesting to me. You know, and then there's other things too. Uh, I think that here's the thing. I think, you know, if, you, if you've watched on the news, there's the, the, the report on the sexual abuse and non-reporting allegations in the SBC. If you've seen that in the news, which has been quite hard to kind of read, read that report that was put out. Um, people need to step up and raise their hand. Right. And if you want to do something, pray. If you want to do something, press in. And if you see something that's wrong, this. This, this, you know, stepping up and saying, you know what, I don't know, does this right? Does that seem right? I wonder if we do that more and would things change? But other than that, I don't have any steps for you because I don't have any steps for myself other than to pray and to mourn and to grieve. And, you know, and as the scriptures would say, Jesus is a man who was acquainted with grief and sorrow. And thank goodness he was because I don't know, that's the kind of God we serve and we get to interact with in weeks like this. So can I just lead us in just a prayer for the families that were impacted in Uvalde and the families that were impacted by the, the report from the SBC? And, and I, I, to me, I know it's a heavy, it feels heavy this week. Um, so if you'll just bow your heads with me. Lord, I just come before you and, again, just lift you up, God, uh, in the time of things are really hard, you know, given the last couple of years. And it seems like just wave after wave after wave of just hard news, bad news, tragedy. I mean, we've got educators, Lord, in our, in our body, uh, God, that we're impacted. We have students in our body. And God, as I just think about just our students and just the legacy that we're leaving for them educationally, God, I pray that we would leave a spiritual legacy much more so than any math problem would ever try to answer. You know, when I think about my kids and the conversations that we've had too, it's just the it's, there is nothing to do but to, to trust the Lord and to pray for those that are affected and to give each, remind each of us that we have a role to play as we press into the world, especially in hard times. So, Lord, I, I do lift up those families that were touched by death and tragedy and Uvalde, that community. I can only imagine what the churches and the faith communities in that community are doing right now this morning. God, they're mourning. They're clinging to you, and they're pointing each other to you, Jesus, and the only hope that you are, that this world doesn't offer, that you are the only hope, the only way, the only truth, the only life. And Lord, we just stand with them. Stand with them in prayer. We stand with them in solidarity. We stand with them as they mourn and grieve. And God, we don't know when the next thing's coming, but you do. And so in some ways, I take comfort in that in the other way. I'm like, gosh, does there have to be another thing that has to come? But obviously, God, you're at work in our world. And so I pray, God, that uh, we would trust you, that we put our faith and trust in you, Lord, that we would continue to follow you, and that we would do our part. 
And that's to press in, don't withdraw, to raise her hand and to speak up and to speak for those who are voiceless. To speak for those who don't have a voice for themselves or the power or the position to, to raise their own hand. Also, you know, think about the people in Ukraine, the people that are touched by sexual abuse, Lord. Whereas this is the place we're supposed to get it right, we're imperfect. And yet, there's example after example where we fail one another, Lord, but you don't fail. And so I thank you for that, God. Thank you that you're a God, that you are perfected, that you are perfect, and that you love us in spite of all our failures. So where we lift all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I pray that you would continue to, 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 to remember these families and these things in, in prayer. And you think, well, gosh, that has, you know, obviously it's sad um, and it's hard, and, but I'm here and that's somewhere else. We have a part to play wherever we are. And if you don't think it matters, then, you've, then we've all agreed with the lie of Satan that we don't matter. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, sermon. We've got the sermon guide on the back. If you want to do that or grab that on the way out. And as I said last week, Travis talked about Doubting Thomas. Loved his perspective there and how he gets a bad rap. But gosh, that he, in his perspective, he wanted to get it right. You know, and as I was thinking about you know, the disciples and this whole series has been looking at inter, different interactions with Jesus and his disciples. And, and, what, and how those conversations and interactions can be instructive for us, you know, one thing is humans do this. We always look at the past and remember things fondly. Agreed? Like, like we do that. You know, we're all conditioned to think, and we have right to do this, is the world continues to progress further in time, the further downward it decays and it sinks. And, and that's certainly true in the week that we've experienced of the stuff that we've watched on the news. And, you know, but the further in time, the worse it gets. The further in time, the more downward the trajectory the world goes. And we see this all in our own lives as well, right? Especially in our preferences. You know, for example, like I've been gone for two weeks, and so I've had control of the remote a little bit more than typical because my kids gobble the remote. And, you know, I, I, bought, I have a TV, and that's awesome. Well, it's not that awesome, but it's awesome, right? And, and I watch a lot of Disney programming on it. You know, that's not why I got it, but here we go. You know, that's how it goes. And, you know, and so I've been watching a lot of the NBA playoffs. And so I think about this, you know, the NBA, like the defense is quite as hard as it was when Jordan played, you know, 20 years ago, right? You know, and as the game has progressed, maybe the worst it's gotten, that kind of thing. Here's another one for you Cowboys fans is the Cowboys have unfortunately steadily gotten worse since the 90s. The more the time has passed, the more downward the trajectory the team's gone. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Titans are going to do that too. Tennessee's been that the same for the Volunteers, right? Uh, you know, there's this thought that America was better 70 years ago after the conclusion of the World War II than it is now, right? You ever thought about that? Like, gosh, if I only lived at that time, like things would have been great. You ever caught yourself thinking that? No, good. I'm glad. You're the only one, you know. But here's the thing. Things you know, as America continues to seem like it sinks, it's getting worse, not better, right? Especially in the light of the gun violence that we've experienced this week. But here's the reality. And with the exception of gun violence, things are changing. We think things are getting worse because things are changing. Sometimes they are worse. Sometimes they are better. But the reality of it is this. Things are in a constant state of change, both us personally and individually. 
collectively as a, as a church, collectively as a country, collectively as a wor- world. And when you think about things when you were a child compared to now, things are definitely different, right? How much is our, your life different than two years ago? How much of our lives are different than a year ago, six months ago, a week ago, six day, four days ago? Things are definitely different. And the reality is that you and I are forced to look backward because, unfortunately, you and I can't look forward. That's why we do this. It's because we can't see into the future. Right? We didn't go to bed Monday night thinking, oh, what's going to happen on Tuesday in Uvalde is what's going to happen on Tuesday in Uvalde. We went to bed thinking, well, it's going to be a normal day tomorrow. And it's because we can't look forward, but we are forced to look backward finally because at least that's what we could see with clarity, even though we all have perspective and bias on that. You ever feel that tension, right? But here's the funny thing. The disciples who wrote most of the New Testament are no different than you and, from, than you and me. And it's ironic because, like I said, they wrote books in the Bible, but they can't look forward. They could only look backward just like you and me. And so the funny thing is, this morning is after all they experienced with Jesus, they walked with Jesus for three years, all the prayers that are not recorded in the scriptures that they must have been a part of, all the life that they lived. Think about all the life that gets lived in three years. Think about all the life we've lived in the last two and a half, almost three years. They lived more than that with Jesus. All those experiences, all those miracles, all those prayers, all that ministry, all those teachings, all that watching Jesus, God in the flesh, work and live his life in such a way to impact others and then die and and then resurrect. And then they have one final interaction with him. That's what we're going to look at in Acts chapter 1. And yet they still didn't get it. Right, And that's kind of the idea this morning. The, the title is, Why Are You Standing Looking Toward Heaven? That's something that, that we'll see the disciples, get, that question get asked this morning. And yet we're left with, well, what do we do? What do we do next? So chapter 1, 11 verses, just want to read 11 verses over us this morning. And it says this, In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. That's the disciples. Disciples, after Jesus leaves, become apostles. Kind of like Abram gets a new name in Abraham. That's why they're called apostles in this passage. He presented himself, I love this, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he, is lifted, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Gal- Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? 
This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is it. You know, we, we get parts of this scene in other parts of the gospel. You've got the great commission where, in Matthew where Jesus says, Go into all nations and baptize and teach all that I have commanded to, to every, all the ends of the earth. Right? We get parts of this. But I love this description of Jesus' interaction. You know, and first, the, book, the author of the book of Acts is Luke. And so he's written two books. Uh, and, and, you know, we're in pretty close proximity in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, hence why it's called the Gospel of Luke, right? That doesn't take any uh, degree to figure out why that's called that. And addresses both letters. Here's the interesting thing. In the Gospel of Luke, in the book of Acts, he addresses both of these letters to the disciple named Theopolis. So Theopolis must have been someone important. We don't really know much about him other than the fact that Luke addresses his gospel and the book of Acts to him. And Theopolis in the Greek literally means dear to God. I just love that image this morning that Luke is writing these letters to someone who, whose name literally means dear to God. And so just before we go anywhere in the scriptures this morning... Did you know that you are dear to God? And I know that's like a cliche statement, but did you know that you're dear to God? I heard this earlier this week, actually. One of of my friends said this. Um, He said, hey, you're loved by God, but you're also liked by God. You know, and I think, and that really struck me because I'm like, well, hold on a second. Like, I love my kids, but there are times I don't like them because I'm compelled to love them, but I'm not compelled to like them all the time. Did you know that God actually likes you as much as he loves you? He didn't have to. He does. So like if you're sitting there thinking about your worth and your value this morning in the midst of the week that we've experienced, God is a God who not only loves you, he also likes you. I just want to say that because someone who struggles with likability sometimes, like I need to hear that and be reminded of that. Jesus didn't just die because he loves me. He died because he likes me for no other reason that he has. I didn't do anything to earn that. And then, you know, and just the other piece, Jesus presented many proofs to his followers that he was alive. I just love just this, the first three verses of here's Theopolis and then and, and the idea that God's loved, and then that, that Luke is reminding that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering. He is alive. He was alive. Actually, I think it's in Luke where it says he ate a piece of fish. You know, that scene that we looked at last a couple of weeks ago. And during the 40 days, he appeared to them speaking about the kingdom of God. In verse 4, before the disciples could move on, to their task of building the kingdom, they had to wait to receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, like how action-oriented you are. Like I'm a bit of a doer and like to do things. But like just imagine before the disciples could do anything, they had to first receive the Spirit, which happens at Pentecost, if you know the story. Tongue of fire, they start speaking other people's language, and then the kingdom explodes very quickly. It goes from a, a room of 12 men locked together, afraid to kind of move out because of the persecution that Jesus felt. After all the things that Jesus has told them, all the things that they've experienced, they're still afraid. 
afraid, but then the Spirit falls on them. The promise of the Father, as verse 4 says, and then the Spirit or the church grows exponentially. How many people came to faith the first day? 5,000, 10,000, like the second day, three, I, like, can you imagine what that might have been like? And it wouldn't have happened without the Spirit. And so here's the good news. Like, the good news for you and me is, is, the, is the disciples that are now re- looking back fondly on this period of the church is that the task of building the kingdom wasn't on them. Like, the task of building the kingdom and growing the church, the body of Christ, it wasn't on the disciples, it was on God through the Holy Spirit. And so the good news for you and for me this morning is that we don't have to build the church on on our own just like they didn't have to build the church on their own. The Holy Spirit is required to do the work for which we were all made. Get that? Like, I know we say this a lot, but it's true. Like, the Holy Spirit is required to do the work for which we were all made a couple weeks ago. We all have the common purpose to shepherd God's people, to help them move from where they are to where they need to be, right? And that that somehow intersects with how God's uniquely made each of us with a gift set. And so I just love that. Like, it's not on our own. We don't have to do it. We don't have to figure it out. So, like, thank goodness in a room full of eight pastors and two professors who have multiple degrees that we didn't have any answers for Uvalde and and the, the unspeakable tragedy is that we don't have to have the answer. We don't have to have the answer. We could just be who God's made us to be. Praise God. Like if it's on, like if it's on me, like we're in trouble, you know? Verse 5, Greek word for baptism. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I love this. The, the Greek word for baptism is baptizo, baptizo, and it means to dip. It also means to repent. So you get the idea. Jesus was baptized by John. It was the start of his public ministry. He was dipped underneath the water. That's why we do full immersion, because Jesus was baptized with immersion. There's other ways to do it. I don't think Jesus really cares. We just try to follow his example. It doesn't mean that other ways don't. It's just a preference. But baptism, literally in the Greek, means to dip or repent. Repent means to turn away from something, right? It's the, as a country, I know we, we desire to turn away from the tragedy on Tuesday, but yet things keep happening. But here's the other thing. It also means, the, the random definition here uh, for baptism means for someone who have a highly significant religious experience. Not just a religious experience, but a highly significant experience religious experience. So Jesus is saying this, I love this, that there's a difference between human, back to a second ago, right? Like disciples are not going to build the church on their own strength and power. They're going to build it on the power through the Holy Spirit that God is sending. Get that? So here you go. So this is why Luke is, he's building these ideas on top of each other. He's saying this, he's reminding them, Jesus said that John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's a quote there, is Jesus is saying that there's a difference between human-led religious experience versus religious experience that comes from God. Let me say that again. All right? There's a difference. Jesus is saying there's a difference between a human-led religious experience versus a religious experience that comes from God. And so the encouragement is this, I would have for each of us, is that we need to lean less on other humans for religious experience. Now, hear me when I say this. That doesn't mean withdraw and go live in a monastery and become a monk. 
Like, I don't think that's it either. If you notice, all throughout history, like, we do this. We pendulum swing. We go from this side to this side, like the grandfather clock that your great-grandparents had in their home, and it didn't work anymore. At some point, it stops working, right? But they keep it around because it's important. Like, we need each other. So don't hear me say that I've just absolved you from community and being a part of a spiritual family because I'm not. I'm not saying that. But we need to lean less on other humans for religious experience versus having one directly with God is a religious experience that is not limited by human hands. See that? See that? That's what Jesus is. That's what Luke is reminding us that Jesus said. There's a difference between feeling close to God because of this versus feeling close to God because you actually have a relationship with him. And here's how it works out in my life. It's a lot easier for me to, instead of opening my, my Bible or actually spending some time in prayer, to listen to some podcast about somebody else, what they think. As opposed to actually being in relationship with the living and active God who's resurrected and descended into heaven. Which one do you think goes further? Right? Because the reality of it is, is we should self-feed as much as we are fed by others. It's not one or the other. It's a both and. But it's a really easy in our consumeristic mindset to say, you know what, I could just pull something up on my phone and be good to go. Instead of actually spending time hanging out with the Father. All right? So we got that? Okay. I wonder what our church would be like. I wonder what the church would be like if we took that a little more seriously. And, you know, some of you might be hearing that, well, this is what you're saying. You're saying, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, and then there's this. No, what I'm saying is, is we get to do this. We have access to this. We have access to him. And it's not limited by our own imperfections because he's not limited. He's not limited. Verse 6. Here's the hinge verse for this morning. This is all of what the, the sermon is built on. After all the things, right? All the things that the disciples did with Jesus. They ask him this question. Okay, and it says this in verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, you've been crucified. You've been in the grave. You resurrected. Now you're running around 40 days, showing up to everybody, interacting with people. Now is the time that you're actually going to usher in your kingdom. We actually thought you were going to usher in your kingdom before the crucifixion, before Holy Week. We thought Holy Week was our, our crowning achievement. No, actually it wasn't, but you're back. So glad you're back. Are you going to usher in your kingdom? And I love this, the disciples. Like I said, this is why you can't just always lean on other humans' religious experiences to give that to you because we get sidetracked we have blind spots we have perspectives that don't line up because the disciples here who should be in the know right they've seen all the things Jesus has returned to them and they're saying okay you're done now let's complete your ministry and now it's time but here's the funny thing about this the disciples have not received the Holy Spirit yet so they still don't quite get it they still don't quite get it. They're thinking, okay, we've been waiting. I guess we could wait another week. Oh, it's been 40 days. We're good. Now it's time for Jesus to rule. It's now it's our time to rule because here's the thing. Get this. If I'm in power, everything that I want to happen will happen and nothing bad will happen. See that? That's what 
the conversation tends to be in times of tragedy. Well, if everything was the way that I wanted it, or if I was in power, or my political party was in power, or we looked at this, then everything's okay. It's not true, because it's just a pendulum swing. We have one party in power, and then another party in power, and then another party in power, and we tend to elevate people, and instead of putting our faith and trust in Jesus, we make it about human things. We make it about human things. And so the funny thing is, here's the disciples doing exactly what they're made to do. Be human, just like you and me, and they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet, and they still miss the point to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance. It's interesting to me that they don't get it. They don't get it when they should get it. Because in John chapter 14, verse 3, it says this. Here, I'll just stare. And if I go, so this is Jesus talking to them again. I'm going to go, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. They were told directly by Jesus, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's many mansions, whatever your translation says, and that I will take you to myself when I come back that you may be there with me. They were told. It's so funny to me. They were told over and over, this is what's going to happen. And they're like, so when are you going to put us in power again? Wait, what? Hold on a second. I'm good. Like, you're good. So we're good. So let's, we're good, right? Let's go. Like, Put me on the throne. We're good. We're going to kick everybody out and have the, everything the way that we want it. But there's something about having God within you that removes the cobwebs, removes the veil. Something about having the Holy Spirit is required for understanding and having a conviction to follow Jesus and get the mission right. His mission, not our mission, His mission. And then verse 7, Jesus says this, The Father fixes the time for Jesus' return. The Father fixes the time for Jesus. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Here's the crazy thing about this week. If that verse is true, that means Tuesday is true too. I don't understand that at all. I don't understand that at all. And I get why people have objections. How can there be a loving, benevolent God when there's things like Tuesday happen? I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand it. But I trust that he does in spite of all the hard things. Mark 13, chapter 13, verse 32 says this. But concerning the day or that the hour, no one knows. This is Jesus again talking to his disciples. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the, nor the Son. Nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus doesn't know when he is returning. Jesus does not know when he is returning. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father on the throne in heaven, advocating and interceding for you and for me, and he's waiting for the Father to go, it's time. Go. It's time. Go. And when that happens is somehow the culmination of all the things that should happen between the day that we're talking about and to the day that that happens. But for some reason, Jesus does not even know. It is at the sole discretion of God when that happens. But yet, what do we do? We wring our hands talking about how great things were in the past and we just long for his return when Jesus doesn't long for his 
return. Think about that for a second. We should look forward, but we can't. Jesus knows all things except when he's going to return. Verse 8, you will receive power. I love that. Not the political power to overthrow the government, but a better power. Here's the thing about being human, I think. I do this all the time. I don't know about you, but I do this. I exchange awesome godly things for imperfect human things all the time. All the time. All the time. I am made uniquely by God for a purpose that goes beyond this. Just let me go ahead and say that, right? This is not the culmination of why I'm gifted and why God's made me. Just saying it. It's because I'm being a participant in the family of God. And yet I exchange stuff like that all the time for other things. Because they're easier to get. Easier to get. But you will receive power, not political power, to overthrow the government, verse 8. But to build a a better power to build the kingdom. That's what we do. Like that's why we're here. That's why the disciples were there. That's why he left. You and I are supposed to build the kingdom. And in face of unspeakable tragedy on Tuesday, you know what we do? We build the kingdom. We press in. We don't withdraw. We say, you know what? I don't have any answers. Can I pray for you? Can I hug you? Can I grieve with you? Can I mourn with you? Can I cry with you? I want to talk about building the kingdom. Like having your kids and having students in the world have a narrative of how to interact with God. Not just to, to know but also to have a relationship with him, that's how you build the kingdom. You want to you win, you want to help kids figure out how to be students in a world of the, that, that we find ourselves in? You love on their parents and help them. Because here's the thing, I guarantee, because this is what I do, like I advocate the education of my kids to their teachers, which I should, but I shouldn't, right? Like, that's not all of it. I play a part too. We play a part too. That Jesus asked us to build a kingdom with a better power than our own. And then verse 9 and 10 says this. I love this. And then he says all these things. And then Jesus leaves. Like, of course he does. Because that's what he does. I don't know why. You know, he shows up and then leaves. And it says in verses 9 and 10 that the cloud came and got him. Jesus left to go prepare a place for us in his power and glory. That's what heaven is. Heaven is the place where God's glory and preeminence and perfection and holiness will shine forever and it will no longer be veiled. Think about all the times that we read in the Old Testament where God was hanging out and talking with people, but they couldn't see him because we couldn't handle it. And then we get Jesus for three years and then he leaves. And then there were times where the disciples couldn't handle being in his presence, like the Sermon on the Mount where the cloud, here's the cloud, the cloud comes back down and they're like, hey, this is so awesome. Let's build three houses so that we could stay here forever. There's something about it. But God goes and prepares a place for us in his power and glory. And just like God left, God's going to return. Jesus is going to return in the same thing. Guess what? In his power and glory. He left, he'll return. He's just waiting for the Father to say how. And then verse 11, this is exactly what we all do. I, you know, the disciples get a bad rap. I know Travis talked about that last week with Thomas. But it's true. They were all looking at the sky. Can you imagine? Like, just put yourself in the story for just a second. Can you imagine what that might have looked like? And like, I, I'm like, what I've been like, well, hold on. Like, trying to keep my eye on that little speck as he leaves. Right? 
Like, that would have been me, you know, like, like, hold on, get out of my way. Okay, I'm good. Okay, we're good. Oh, he's going. And I get this image of the disciples just all staring, standing there blank-faced as they watch him go, right? And they weren't going to leave. I'm just going to say this. They weren't going to leave until the angel said, hey, why are you still here? Get that? Just like they didn't want to leave at the top of, uh, on the top of the hill in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and like they didn't want to leave his presence. But they had to. And so here's the reality. In his absence, just like the disciples, you and I are meant to reflect his goodness, glory, and grace to each other and to the world. Imagine like what that cloud must have looked like. Has it reflected all the light and all the power? Like, just like the cloud that took Jesus home and is going to bring him back, you and I are supposed to reflect, reflect his goodness, his glory, and his grace in the same manner. And, this, and the angels were like, hey, get out of here. Like, he said he was leaving. Why are you still here? Why are you still looking at the sky? It is not your time to know except for his time to return. And so here's the heart thing as we're, as we're kind of closing this morning. One, don't exchange what God has for you, for us now, looking and waiting for the future in the sky. In times like this, I get it. Like we look forward to, please come home. Please come back and get us. I understand that. I asked for that as well. But I think we get stuck thinking those things as opposed to thinking about what it is that we should be doing right now. Don't exchange for what God has for you now. Because the reality of it is, is we cannot know the future in a general manner of when Jesus' return is going to be. We can't know it. So what are we left to do? What are we left to be? What are we left to say? What are we left to pray? But we can know the present day in a particular manner. No, see that? We exchanged our, the particular thing, which is our kingdom roles and why we're here, for the general role of like, well, he's going to return one day. I'm just going to sit here and wait. I'm going to sit here and wait. But here's the thing. What does, a, what does and should a now focus produce? Right? So the question is, is what should our focus on the here and now produce? And it's this. It's a radical desperation. It's a radical dependence on the Lord both in prayer and humility. We look at the sky and we say, well, hold on a second. He's going to come back and get me. That's good. Instead of subjugating our, myself and ourselves to saying, well, actually, no, I'm supposed to be radically desperate and dependent upon him in prayer and humility. We should be praying for the city and the unity of Christians today to get behind what God is up to right now. Right now. Nothing else. Not politics, not economics, not inflation, not all the things that we are like rage against because our world's kind of crazy right now and upside down, right? We should channel that energy, channel that frustration, excuse me, channel that desperation to a radical dependence and humility on him. Because here's the thing, I could rail against inflation every time I fill up my tank. Does that bring the price down at all? No, it doesn't. But do I actually trust that God will actually change things according to his plan and purpose as I pray for those things and for his glory to show? See the difference? We're exchanging 
what we want to happen in the future, what's not happening now for what we actually have an opportunity to do this moment, right now, today. 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 Because here's the reality of it is, none of those other things that I just talked about, all those are just swinging the pendulum back and forth. Hear me when I say they're not important. I have opinions. I have thoughts. They might be different than some people. That's okay. But that is not going to change or save our world. The only thing that's going to save and change our world is when Jesus returns, period. Period. And how much time do we waste on the other stuff instead of actually investing in our relationships? So the band's going to come back up. And the question I have for you this morning is this. Very simply, do you catch yourself more focused on the sky waiting for Jesus' return than your role to institute the kingdom in his absence? Which one? Do you catch yourself more focused on the sky than wait, and waiting for Jesus' return than your call to institute the kingdom? Here's the reality. This is a tough reality. This, we spent... We did spend the last two weeks talking about this. The church is not the center of the culture anymore. It's not. And I don't say that saying that it should be. I'm saying, I'm just saying it's not. And you could have an argument of whether it really was or not either. There's different thoughts on that. The church is not the center of the culture anymore. But here's what we get to do. We get to change the culture from the edges out to in. See that? We get to start at the edges, not the, the center. And the disciples, what did they ask? This is, we need to hear this this morning. The disciples said, hey, Jesus, are you going to institute your kingdom? What they were asking Jesus to do was, hey, are you going to change our world from the inside out? See that? Are you going to walk into Jerusalem again and remove everybody out of the temple, remove everybody off the throne, and institute your kingdom from the center out? Guess what? doesn't work that way because if it did Jesus would have and he didn't Jesus didn't change the culture from the inside out what they were asking for and when we sky change or sky gaze is we are waiting for Jesus to do the work that he has positioned each of us to do that's the truth when we say when we look to the future and wring our hands put our hands in our pockets we are asking him to do the work that he has left and gifted for you and I to do. And here's the reality. The reality is this. You and I are being grown from the inside out. The heart change starts here and works out so that we should be willing to change our culture from the outside in. See that? We are changed from the inside out so that we can work from the outside in. You and I should be willing to change our culture from the outside in instead of asking and waiting for Jesus to do it when he returns. And so how can you begin? Right? So that's the question. Like, just practically, what does it look like? One, there's lots of things that we're already doing. So like some of us have heard, well, what I'm doing is not enough. That's not what I'm saying. Or we don't have enough to do. That's not what I'm saying. Or what I'm doing is not important. That's not what I'm saying. What you're doing and what you're being asked to do is the most important thing to God for you in this moment. Not me, not what anybody else thinks, okay? But then also, 
we do have other opportunities too. You know, when I think about students, you want to love students well? We should have the best VBS on the planet the next month. You want to love students well? We've tried really hard to get this in this fall or in the spring before the end of semester. Let's get involved in a school and love those teachers so that we can love those students. You want to impact students' lives and in, in the face of insurmountable tragedy, we bring the gospel to bear in the form of relationship, not words, relationship that actually changes people's hearts and minds. Because it's much easier for me to say, well, I, I share the gospel, you should make a decision, now move on. That's not, here's the other thing, engage the culture where you are. Engage the culture where you are. Do you know you have an opportunity to engage the culture where you are? And God's not asking you to change the culture. He's asking you to engage the culture. I think we don't engage the culture because we feel the pressure that we have to change the culture. You ever stood on the beach and tried to hold the waves back? Doesn't work that way. But guess what? You standing in the water on the beach where you are redirects the water right where you are. See that? But we would make it about, no, we've got to do big things to make big changes. And change does not happen like that, unfortunately. Engage the culture. And then finally, we need to be desperate for this church to continue to become what God wants it to be. Like, take the desperation and the frustration and the sadness and the grief that we've all felt this week, right? Now let's have that for our church. And what about the church down the street? And what about the church down the street? And the church down the street? What about that? Do we do that? I don't know. Should we? I think so, right? That seems like unity to me. But not just so that we could have things well or do things well, so that more people would know Jesus as Savior and return to Him. Because here's the funny thing. We want people to return to Him. They were made in His image. They were made by Him. The Scripture talks about how all of us were formed in our mother's womb in a hidden secret place we are made like him for him by him for his glory and we want people to return to him because guess what he's going to return to us see that we want people to return to him and that only happens when we tap into not what we want and we check our stuff at the door and we say spirit I would want you to institute our kingdom here right now and actually, with the Spirit's help, we actually see a different way. Amen? Let's stand and pray, please. So, God, when I, I think about, again, just all the stuff this week and the stuff that we don't know what's going to happen or that's coming, God, I pray that we would make it about you. Not how people aren't like you, or should think like you, or that are not acting like you, or doing things like you, or we should value things like you do. God, just make it about you. Make it about us dying to ourselves because you died to yourself so that we could be with the Father. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray for my, my friends here. I know it's a holiday weekend. Um, and I'm looking forward to some rest too, but there is work to be done. And it's not that all the things that we're not doing, God, we get to do these things. We get to do them. We get to be a people and a church, people who are called out for you to pray and to mourn and to grieve in the face of tragedy like we've experienced this week. 
And Lord, while that feels heavy and hard, we get a chance to be a blessing when those when there are people who need blessings. So I pray we'd make about that. Pray, think about just the places where we can engage the culture. Not try to win the culture, just engage it. But not engage it for our narrative or our thought process, Lord, but engage it for you. Because you are going to return. And there are a lot of people right now chasing a lot of different things, myself included, that have nothing to do with your eternity. So God, I pray that as we sing and we respond, that you would have us do that. Continue to change our hearts. It's a process. But Lord, I'm thankful that you didn't actually institute your kingdom that day. Because we have a kingdom to reflect and a kingdom to point people to. And I pray that we would do that in Jesus' name. Amen.